So anyway, how are you, brother? It's been too long, man. It has. Let me get this started. Right, so, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, it's my singular pleasure and honor to welcome you to the bang of the hand and my guest of the day, the walking boss, Kevin Davey. How you doing, bro? Hello, I'm good. Hang on, I'm just going to introduce you again. Look at your guest of honor in the hand. I hope you're practicing appropriate social distancing with the Predator. I am. I'm six foot away from him. See? He's, uh, he's, hang on, I'm going to turn this around so I can... Yes, there we, there we are. That's better. That's better. Um, the reason being, at least my eye line is closer to the camera now, so it doesn't look as though I'm looking off in the distance. <laughs> I do that all the time. I end up looking, yeah. my camera's here, you're sort of here, and you yeah. see my head doing this periodically throughout the podcast. <laughs> Unless you're listening to the audio version, in which case ignore that last 20 seconds. Um, so, welcome. It took a little bit of technical glitching to get it all lined out, but um, yeah, and thanks for being a guest on the show, man. Listen, is I'm I'm honoured, dude. You know I love you. You know my you're my brother. And if ever you know you want me to do anything for you, you know I'm there. So oh, we know that. So for the people out there that don't know, um, I think the easiest thing I can do is give you a very gentle introduction. Um, we have multiple downgrades in multiple disciplines. A spectacular history in both competition and jujitsu and self-defence, uh, followed by a a star-studded screen presentation in major network <laughs> TV shows. Ah, it's Kev. Everyone knows it's Kev. So yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw this right open to you guys. So for the people that don't know Kevin, Kevin's been a friend of mine for a number of years, been a training partner of mine for a number of years. We bounce ideas off each other. It's that idea of the steel that sharpens the steel. So we, we play off each other. We trade techniques of each other. One of us will say, I've got an idea for something. Can I try it out on you? And the other one's like, yeah, yeah, well, sure, whatever. Just see which bits fall off. Um, and so it's, um, yeah, it's been long overdue since I had you on the show. Um, so how about we go way, way back to the beginning because you've been in the game longer than I have martial arts wise. And as a fellow Brit, um, obviously you've got your start over there as well. So the question that always gets asked of martial artists, and it's a great way to introduce you to the audience is, uh, how did you get started? Take us way, way back in the day to what started a ball rolling and, and, just go from there. Okay, okay. Well, long, long ago, in a galaxy far away, <laughs> um, I started, um, I was always interested in martial arts, but I, I didn't start until I was about 12 years old. And my very first martial art was actually judo. Um, and one of my sports teachers at school was a, was a black belt in judo, and he had a lunchtime judo class. So I thought, hello, oh, no. that'll be interesting. So um, it was like a couple of times a week, you know, just for half an hour during the uh, school lunch break. Mm -hmm. um, we'd go into the gym, we'd get on our geese and we'd do judo. So I did judo um, for about three years, from about the age of 12 to about the age of 15. Oh, wow. Um, I then snuck into my first R-rated movie, which happened to be Enter the Dragon. And uh, I thought, I want to do that. <laughs> so... Um, I was living down in Cornwall at the time and, and there wasn't any Kung Fu, JKD or anything like that in Cornwall at the time. So the closest I could get to that was karate. Mm -hmm. So I started doing karate at about the age of 15, I guess. Yeah. Um, I did quite well in my karate career. You know, I, I achieved the rank of fourth degree black belt in karate. I was um, three-time British karate champion. Um, 
uh, and I used to do, it was just amateur stuff, you know, but I mean, you know, for an amateur, it's still quite a good uh, record that I had, but I was probably, um, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I used to fight on this karate circuit. Well, it was, it was an open class competition and it was called the Welsh Karate Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. And uh, there would be, I think there would be four or six competitions a year. Um, it was a Grand Prix event, so you would amass points as to how well you did during the competitions. And then um, the, the top class winners and the top 16 um, fighters actually went on to fight for the Welsh Grand, uh, Welsh Great, it was actually called the Welsh Great Britain uh, Squad. Hang on, let me um, unravel that. The Welsh Great Britain squad. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just, I mean, even though Wales is in Great Britain, they didn't want to call it the Great Britain squad because it was, you know, you won your way onto the squad by way of the Welsh Karate Grand Prix. Right, okay. So even though even though all the competitions took part in, in Wales, you know, people would come from all over. You'd get Birmingham Laogar, you'd get Bristol Laogar, you'd get people coming down, you know, you'd get a lot of Taekwondo, Karate, um, Kung Fu uh, and and kickbox as well. It was an open competition, so you were fighting people with similar but different disciplines. Um, I was fortunate enough to be selected for the squad on three occasions, mm -hmm. um, and one of those occasions uh, was in Ohio. So they flew us out to Ohio in the U.S. and we fought the American team. Anyway, I was um, I. Uh, at the at the finale, like at the very end of the Grand Prix, they would they would for the finals they would put on this big show and dance kind of thing, and they would have different people from different disciplines doing demonstrations. Um, and there was a guy there called Billy Doak, who was uh, doing a jujitsu demonstration. And I thought, holy moly, never seen anything like this before. The guy was, you know, I dabbled in Aikijitsu, I dabbled in Aikido. I'd done a little bit of jujitsu, but I'd never seen someone with the ability that Billy Doak had. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I've never really been backward at coming forward. So I actually went up to him after the event and I said, that just blew my mind, man. You know, and he was so gracious, so friendly. He said, oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Come in, sit down. Let's have a cup of tea kind of thing. Um, so I actually started training with Billy, even though he was in Wales and I was down in Cornwall which is probably about a four-hour drive, I guess. I was going to say, that's quite the commute. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, but but what, what happened was um, I started getting him down probably three times, maybe four times a year to do seminars. Mm -hmm. And also I was going up to Wales probably half a dozen times a year. And the beauty of that was, I mean, me and Billy built up a very, very close friendship. And so when I would go up there for the weekend, it would literally be... One-on-one uh, -on -one tuition for the entire weekend, you know, wow. and getting one-on-one -on -one tuition from someone of Billy's ability was just amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, but of course, as well as that, now Billy has passed away now, uh, unfortunately, um, but in my mind, he still remains the best traditional jiu-jitsu guy and, and, and the most flamboyant as well. You know, the, his stuff was very effective and practical and yet he did it in a way that was like you know it's the kind of thing you see on john wick you know yeah before, yeah. before john wick even even was even thought of um 
but as well as that, I was also um, doing a lot of traveling, training with other people as well, because myself, like you, Jay, mm -hmm. we've always felt that martial arts are like a buffet lunch. You take something from each plate to fill your own plate. Yes, very much so. Um, however, you, you do get into um, certain things that you excel at and that bring you joy. And personally, at that time, mine was karate and jiu-jitsu. I then went on to retire from karate, but I've stuck with the jiu-jitsu. Um, and of course, you know, I've, I've trained under some of the world's best. I mean, I've trained under um, Frank Shamrock. I've trained under uh, Bass Rutten. I've trained under Eric Paulson. I've trained mm -hmm. under Hoist Gracie, Henzo Gracie, you know, all these big names. Because you never stop learning and you're always trying to evolve and trying to better yourself. Um, and I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled that earlier this year, uh, back in February, I was teaching at the Canadian Jiu-Jitsu Union's winter camp in Chilliwack, BC. And the president of the Canadian Jiu-Jitsu Union awarded me my fifth degree black belt in Jiu-Jitsu. And a big congratulations to that too, brother. Good job. <laughs> yeah, so, so I actually now... I don't wear a black belt anymore. I actually wear a coral belt, which is a red and white belt. And of course, that in itself is an honor, you know? Yes. Um, however, I've never professed to be all that in a bag of potato chips because, as I say, we never stop learning, you know? So I just, I love teaching, love teaching, love passing on knowledge if I can. I love learning. You know, I mean, you know as well as I do, sometimes you can have a beginner do something by accident and you think holy crap that really worked show me that again <laughs> you know so so you've got to be open-minded enough to learn from whoever you can whenever you can exactly um and and you know as a fellow martial artist you know you know what exactly what i mean when i say this it really is a privilege being able to teach others and pass on knowledge that they may not have you know absolutely absolutely uh, I mean, that's a uh, quite the history lesson in like <laughs> compressed down yeah, and stuff. I, I tried yeah. to cram it down. That no, was good. Way. I like it, man. I like it. Let's let's go back and dig into that a little bit more. So you said you started in karate. What actually? What style did you start in? When I first started karate, I was doing bujinkai. Now bujinkai was. Um, I don't know if it still is because, of course, I've been living in Canada for, for 13, 14 years now. But Bujinkai was very, very widespread in the West Country, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Devon and Cornwall. Uh, yep. The chief instructor at that time, I believe he was a fifth Dan, his name's John Smith, a fantastic karate man. And I believe he had trained in both Shotokan and Wadaru. And he had founded this system, Bujinkai, which kind of like, was kind of like a cross between the two you know yes. it was the it was the dare i say rigidity and tradition of um shotokan but a little bit more of the flow of wadiru if that makes sure. sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so uh, is, is it safe to say it was basically a composite style then based on his experiences yeah, from what yeah, he done? Essentially, essentially um but what happened was i had been doing bujinkai for about five or six years mm -hmm. and I, I i feel ashamed to admit this but i i missed a, a few lessons and we used to train on monday uh, tuesdays and thursdays i believe it was mm -hmm. and you know it's it's easier to be a student than a, than an instructor because sometimes you just don't feel like going 
<laughs> the thing is, like, when you're an instructor, you've got to be there, rain or shine. When you're a student, you can just say, ah, forget it, I'm not feeling like it. Yeah, the cat seal, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was um, in my late teens or early 20s at this time, and, of course, I was interested in other things. So I missed a couple of lessons, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll go back next week. Right. And then next week came and went, and I thought, oh, well, I'll start next month. So that little break, terrible to admit, but I, I'm, I, I'm always honest, that little break lasted about three years. Mm. So when I actually did go back, I said to the instructor, now this wasn't John Smith, this was another instructor, because John Smith was based in Plymouth, which is about an hour away from where I lived. So there was another instructor that he had put in charge of this club that I was training in, in St. Oscar. And I went back there after this three-year break. My fault, I take full responsibility for not having the dedication that I should have had at that time, but I was young and dumb and whatever. Um, I went back and I said, oh, I'm thinking about getting back into it. And I won't use the flowery language he used, but in short, he said, you're not using this place as a convenience, don't want you here anymore. So I said, okay, fair enough. So I actually ended up joining a different, and I think I was like a brown belt at that time in Virginia, mm. um, purple or brown. But anyway, I ended up going to another club in the same area um, called Zenshido Karate. Okay. Um, now, when I went there, I thought, wow, Bujinkai is a much higher standard than Zenshido. However, that, that instructor doesn't want me back. I want to get back in the training, so I'll just, I'll just train here, you know, just as a training dojo as opposed to a learning dojo. Makes sense. So yeah, yeah. I went to Zenshido, and before very long, the instructor actually had me teaching. Wow. And I was teaching, I was teaching virtually every lesson. I was teaching the fighting, uh, the, the, uh, the um, um, uh, competition fighting, and also, I was teaching the catters, you know, because my technique, my kicks and what have you, were actually tidier than the instructors there. So I became, <laughs> I became an instructor in, in the Zenshido Dojo. Um, and I worked my way up. And I think I, I left there when I was a second degree black belt. To, okay. And I founded my own system, which was a Shidakai. A Shidakai means tomorrow's fighting school or the fighting club of tomorrow, whatever. And I think the proper pronunciation is Ashtakai. But for the Caucasians, I thought Ashitakai is a little bit easier to get your tongue around. Anyway, um, so what I did with Ashitakai is I incorporated what knowledge I had in other arts at that time um, to make it a little bit more of a... Um, more of an encompassing style so it just it wasn't just kicking and punching you know if you did end up on the ground at least you had some knowledge when you were down there if someone did grab you from behind at least you had knowledge to sort of like get out of that mm. um and the ashidakai system was actually um uh, we actually or i actually got given my blessing by the ama the amateur martial arts association which was like the biggest one in europe yeah, um, and I got graded on my own syllabus uh, by a guy called Kevin Brewerton and another guy called Bob Furmore, who were both very now, big in martial arts. Let, in let's not casually throw out the name Kev Brewerton without dwelling on that for a second, okay? Because you can't kind of just drift that one in there. For those that don't know Kev Brewerton, um, aka the Jedi, 
realistically, probably one of the top five point fighters of all time. Um, yes. Phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal guy. I mean, everybody, his name and Alfie Lewis's name are synonymous because of the whole Clash of the Titans thing and, uh, yeah. and the yeah. rivalry that was put together. But uh, Kev was a tremendous, tremendous fighter in his own right. So to have him endorsing you, that's... That's a big deal, man. That's 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 cool. Yeah, that's cool. yeah, it was. I mean, like, and uh, the funny thing was, sorry, I'm going down in the dark, but I'll be back in the light in a minute. It's a little bit like having uh, Bruce Campbell in The Evil Dead being interviewed. He's got to have this camera just screaming through the woods. Going towards the light. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, um, I actually met Kevin, I think it was 91. I went mm -hmm. up to the uh, World Championships up at Crystal Palace. Uh -huh. And I went up to him. And of course, you know, I mean, like I was starstruck by, by numerous martial artists who appeared up there. And um, I'm going to tell a story that you're not going to like now, but it's all Oh, I, I won't care. <laughs> so I went up to um, Alfie Lewis mm -hmm. and I said, you're Alfie Lewis, aren't you? He said, yeah. So I held out my hand to shake it, and he didn't even shake my hand. Mm. And I thought, yeah, a little bit arrogant. But having said that, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, he might have been preparing for his fight or whatever. So I thought, let it go. It doesn't matter. It's no big deal. Went up to Kevin Brewton, and I said, you're Kevin Brewton, aren't you? He said, yeah, man, how's it going? You know, what's your name? Where'd you come from? Blah, blah, blah. You know, right. different, different, different outlooks, different attitudes. So me and Kevin built up um, built up a relationship, and I actually used to have Kevin come down to Cornwall to teach us the fight game. Essentially, right? Um, it's probably actually it was probably 1990 that I first met Kevin, and um, had him down a few times. And then, as I say, him and Bob Furmore uh, they came down to Cornwall, and they actually graded me on my own syllabus, and that's when I got my third down. Wow. Um, in karate. Mm -hmm. uh, now, remember, I'm, I, I started doing jujitsu behind. I've already dabbled with Aikido and Aikijitsu, and I'm now sort of like training pretty regularly in jujitsu as well. Um, and then I think it was 91, 92, yeah, something like that when I got my third dan. And then um, I was, my insurance company was through the FSKA, Free, Freestyle Sports Karate Association, under Alfie Lewis. Mm -hmm. And I think it was under Alfie Lewis and Jim Tierney, I'm not sure. Joe Tierney. Joe Tierney, that's yep. it, that's it. Yeah. Um, so after I had been holding my third degree for four years, Joe actually um, didn't email me. It was a, it was a written letter. That's how long ago it was. It was a written letter. You know, we uh, we see that you've been um, a third degree for over four years now. Would you like to be um, considered for your fourth degree? And I said, well, what do I have to do for that? So he said, well, after third down, it's sort of like given on merit. Um, you know, just sort of like send us a bio, send us what you've achieved, you know, um, this, that, and the other. So I did. So um, Joe and... Um, and Alfie awarded me my fourth degree. Did he shake your hand this time? No, <laughs> no, no, because it was it was remote. You know, of course, remote. of they, course. They actually sort of like sent me a letter with my certificate saying we're we're thrilled to say blah blah blah. Um, so anyway, um, as I say, by this time I'm I'm heavily into jujitsu. You know, I, I'm firmly a believer in the fact that you can't just know how to kick and punch because. If you end up fighting in a phone booth, you're screwed. Or if you end up on the ground, you're screwed. 
or if someone jumps on your back, you're screwed. So you need more than one feather in your bow. And as I say, by this time, I'd been training in jiu-jitsu under Billy fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Billy did it with me old style. Um, I never graded under him, ever, ever, ever graded under Billy. Um, and um, short, I, I can't exactly remember the year, but shortly... It wasn't too long before we actually emigrated to Canada. We came here in 2006. So this was probably, I don't know, maybe 2003, 2004. We were at a seminar. Uh, Billy, because like, as well as having him down to do seminars for me and me going up to train with him, he would also hold seminars all around the country. And I would always make a point of going to train with him just because of our friendship, because of his sure. ability, because I love the guy, you know. Um, so we were at this seminar and there, there must've been about 300 people at this seminar. And, um, at the end of the, and, and I, I said to him, well, you know, what, what belt shall I wear? So he said, well, you're a fourth down, aren't you? I said, well, yeah, in karate. So he said, well, you've earned your fourth down, wear your black belt. He said, I want you to do some teaching today as well. So he actually had me do some teaching at this seminar because it was one of these, there were like nine instructors. It was a two day event, you know, and, and like so many would teach one day, so many would teach the other. At the end of the event, and it's similar to when I got awarded my fifth down the other day, mm-hmm. at the end of the event, Billy came up to me and he just pulled out a black belt. He said, I'm awarding you your black belt. I said, what? He said, I'm awarding you your black belt. I said, but I haven't done any gradings under you. He said, in the old days, there weren't such things as gradings. Gradings were manufactured by the Western culture to be a bit of a money spinner. Mm-hmm. So he said, although the colored belts are a ladder for you to climb, you know, they, the colors are what you aspire to. He said in the old days, you know, if someone, if, if an instructor felt his student was worthy, then he would award them, you know, um, he would reward them the, the, the title of disciple or, or whatever it was, you know. Sure. So that's how he, he awarded me that, you know. And then, of course, um, it was a second down. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a first down. It was a second down. Did you? Oh man, I'll tell you, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know? Um, and then, as I say, we moved here in 2006. You know what me and the kids went through shortly after we moved here. That's all history. And then um, in 2000, probably 2000. 17 or 18 i joined the canadian jiu-jitsu union because i was a little bit of a ronin you know i was a little bit of a you know um i would i I was teaching whenever i could but i didn't have any home base per se and because billy had passed away shortly after my wife passed away he passed away less than a year after linda passed away and i thought well that's it i'm a second down i'll stay a second down forever but i'm i'm proud and happy to be a second down um and then as i say 2017 or 18 i joined the cjju um i um they actually asked me because the chief instructor at the time the president at the time was ed hisco who lives in toronto Mm -hmm. he's recently sent um he's recently passed on his leadership to his son steve hisco awesome guy he's been a rcmp for over 30 years he lives in um chilliwack he's an eighth degree so anyway, uh, Ed Hisco was coming over to Calgary to watch the winter camp a couple of years ago. I had connected with him and said, you know, I'd like to join the CJJU. And he said, right, I'd like to see you in action, please. So could you put together a lesson plan for an hour on the Saturday of the weekend course? So I did it. And 
he absolutely loved it, came up to me afterwards. He said, can you teach again tomorrow? I said, not in so many words, but I said, every day, you know? Um, so I taught again on the Sunday mm -hmm. and, um, after I bowed out, he came on and it was, it was almost like deja vu when Steve did it in Chilliwack earlier this year, but, uh, Ed came onto the mat and he said, you know, Kevin's only recently joined us. He said, we really do like his jujitsu style. It's very innovative. It's very effective. Um, and I noticed that he's been a second Dan since sort of like 2004. He said, so what I'm doing is I'm awarding him not only his third degree, but I'm also awarding him his fourth degree. Wow. So he double graded me or he double awarded me. That was, as I say, that was a... 2017 or 18 and then as I say um Chilliwack this year I was awarded my fifth degree so fantastic and this is going to prove this is going to prove what a terrible martial artist I am hang on before I actually light it I don't know how well people can see this <laughs> there you go little sleight of hand going on there little sleight of hand so while Kevin's indulging in uh, what's uh, frankly an unhealthy habit, but let him do it anyway because he's a big. Boy. I know, man. I've been I've been smoking as long as I've been training, and it's a terrible <laughs> habit, and I don't want any of you kids to do it out there. Don't Fair enough. It. But I mean, I mean, that's it's an amazing uh, history. Lots of um, accolades coming your way and things there. Um, let's go into the non belt certificate based stuff that we alluded to and touched on earlier because um you've trained with a lot of guys over the years and um a few of the names that are thrown out there guys like henzo and uh, hoy Bass, eric paulson all those guys and i've been yeah. fortunate enough to train with two of those guys eric and and, and hoist not had yeah. the, the pleasure of either henzo or bass um yeah. and of course you mentioned frank shamrock too who's another one I've, yeah. I've i've yet to have the experience with um you always um speak of these guys in such high accolades and terms as well um yes. do you find that there's one in particular of those big names that stands out or do you take that little bit of essence from each one and i'm not trying to like make this a a controversial one like this guy's better than this guy like that because again sometimes people like crunchy and smooth peanut butter some instructors right. will resonate better with people than others like for me the guy that in my grappling time has i mean outside of my main wrestling coach harry smith um, yes. is a guy called Mark McFan, who I had a very limited exposure to way, way, way back in the day when I was living in Hull. I mean, we're talking like 95, I think, 95, 96. Right. And he had a tremendous influence on me just from a very small interaction. So you just sometimes click with some yeah. instructors. So the yeah. bigger names you've trained with, which one was the one that you enjoyed the most and which was the one you got the most out of? Because they're not necessarily the same thing. Okay. Um, I'm not telling you. No, okay. Cool. There you go. So, next question. <laughs> Everyone brings something different to the table. You know, you know as well as I do, because we have very similar outlooks with the martial arts. You know as well as I do that you might go and train at a dojo with an instructor, and you might think, okay, the lesson I've learned from this is I have learned that I don't like this system, or I don't like training under this instructor, or you, you I know, don't like schools with so numbers in their titles, that sort of thing, you know. Well, kind of thing. I mean, like, you know, you can learn, whether it's a positive or negative experience, it can still teach you a lesson. And I think, yeah, um, that's, that's important. Certainly the experience that we had brought us together is how we met. So there's... Yeah, there's, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Before I answer your question fully, I'll give you an example. When I was in Cornwall, um, 
I knew this third Dan black belt judo guy, and I knew this first Dan black belt judo guy. Mm-hmm. And whenever I trained under the third Dan, I would, uh, I'm being honest here, I would think, what a big-headed penis this guy is. <laughs> I would go and train with the first Dan, and he was just such, and he obviously he still had far more knowledge than I did, so I was sure. still learning a bucket load off of him. But he was just such a nice guy. It was a joy to train under the first Dan far more than it was to train under the third Dan. Even the third Dan was the higher higher grade with the more experience. Sure. So what I'm saying is, that is the scenario I mean when you can always learn something. What I learned is, I am happier training under this first Dan judo guy than I am training under that third Dan. So it's still a learning experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the big names I've trained under, um, I've, I've been very fortunate to, to click with um, all of them. You know, as I say, I mean, like the big names were um, Henzo, Hoyce, Bass, Eric, and Frank. Now, Frank is a big leg locks guy. Yes. And that was, um, uh, I can't remember if it was a two or a three day thing. I think it was a two day thing. And by lunchtime on the first day, he knew that I had an affinity towards leg locks as well. So for the next next day and a half he was using me to demonstrate on you know so that was great and that was an honor um when i trained with hoist that was now now um uh frank and bass and eric was all no gi Mm -hmm. you know um and that's what i prefer because you know you're not always going to have a jacket to rely on you know whereas if you are used to fighting no gi then you should be able to fight whether the guy's got a jacket on or not. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Sure. Um, so Hoyce, it was an honor to be on the mat with him, but there were a lot of non-jujitsu guys there. So it was a very, very, very basic seminar. Um, so I didn't learn anything new under Hoyce per se, because he was teaching for the masses. There were a lot of Taekwondo people, a lot of karate people. They didn't have any ground knowledge at all. So he was catering to them. I sure. completely understood that. And as I say, it was an honor to be on the mat with him anyway. Was that um, when he did the one in Essex? Cause I, I went to the very first one he did in, no, okay. The one I went to his very first one in Essex with a guy called Mark. Um, no. And it, it was a similar sort of feel cause he was kind of riding the crest of that UFC. Um, well, it wasn't long after that, so it might have been like a year before or a year after. It would have been a year after, because that was the first time he'd ever been to England when he went there with Mark. Okay, yeah, it certainly wasn't Essex, because the places I went, I believe I went to Southampton, I went to London, and I went to uh, Birmingham. Yeah. Um, okay. So it, was, it must have been one of those places. That's fair. Uh, but, but, no, it couldn't have been Essex. I mean, I have trained in London. I mean... Wouldn't it have been weird if we were at the same seminar? Well, again, that's kind of what I was like laughing and thinking about it. I know it was the first time I'd ever been there, but it was a very similar feel to what you were talking about. The room was full of people. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me ask sure. you a question. Were there a bunch of Kempo guys there, all in black geese, all about five foot nothing tall? Honestly, not that I remember. Um, right, I, I don't, okay. I don't well, recall they, that. They were, they, were the one, they were at the one I was at. Okay, but anyway, fair. as I say, that was my that was my hoist experience. I think mm-hmm. it was a year or two later that I trained with uh, Henzo, and I found Henzo was because there are a lot 
a, a majority of people there were judo or jujitsu based. So he was uh, he was showing a lot more variation of techniques, a variety of techniques, much more open to share knowledge and much more open to bring people on to show their knowledge. For example, uh, he had some guy in turtle or what we call hideaway. And he said, right, who can get them in armbar from there? So I feebly put my hand up. So he said, okay, come and show us. So I showed him one of my faves, which is the roll through into the armbar. And I'm sure, sure we've done it before. Oh yeah. Um, so he said, oh, that's excellent. He said, show us another one. So I showed him another one. He said, show us another one. So I, showed, I ended up showing three. And he actually ended up getting me to teach one of those to the rest of the group. And I nice. thought, how open-minded is that? Nice. You know what I mean? How open-minded. Um, so anyway, um, carrying on, I trained with Bass, and Bass is the funniest guy out there. <laughs> yes. when, he does a, when he does a technique on you, you know you've been techniqued. Yeah. You know? And if that isn't the word, it should be. But he was a lovely guy, lovely guy, uh, very approachable, very friendly, very funny. Um, and I think, uh, if memory serves, it was then, so it was uh, chronologically, I think it was Ploice, Penzo, Bass, Frank, Eric. Right. And I actually recently trained with Eric again up in Red Deer uh, last year, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I asked him, and it was Birmingham that I trained with Eric, and I said, oh, I've actually trained with you before. He said, oh, when was that? So I said, oh, crikey, I can't remember. It was back in Birmingham. He said, oh, yeah, I remember. But he didn't remember me because, you know, whatever. Of course. Um, but um, Eric um, is much off the mat. He is much more gentle than you would think. You know, yes. he's very, very, very spiritual. Um, lovely, lovely man. His techniques are phenomenal. And I think the reason I love Eric's stuff and Bass as well, but I think predominantly Eric's stuff um, is because it reminded me of, you know, the CSW is almost like the wrestling version of Billy Doak's style of jiu-jitsu, you know. Uh, pretty flash, pretty flamboyant, but boy, oh boy, does it work and does it hurt, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Eric himself is basically a walking encyclopedia. Um, oh, absolutely. Man. I mean, not only just grappling as well, if you think about his background, obviously, for what a lot of, not, not a lot of people know, and even if you like to acknowledge about Eric, he's actually a JKD man. Um, oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. Well, he's one of Dan and Asanto's top guys. I mean, really, when you're talking about the top students of Dan, there's like, there's a holy sort of bunch of the guys um eric's definitely to my mind probably the best one dan produced you know he, he's certainly right up there there's him there's Britt young paul vunak burton richardson um there was a whole generation of them which was just badass fighters each one of them yeah. was like you know, in their own right really good so eric's got that background too obviously he's done the, the muay thai and he was one of the the only massively successful competitors as well from the early Shuto days when he went out to Japan to train out there and he did a lot of stuff obviously Yeah, of course, well. and, and Pancras and all the rest of yep. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know he had some really, really serious health problems not long ago, don't you? Yep, yeah, it's, um, yeah. Uh, Eric's, uh, you know, been quite open in talking about that himself and things yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on from the guys you train with then, um, yeah. let's, let's make this a little more um, conceptual in the way we do things now because 
that's a tremendous I mean, it's like a murderer's row of people that you've trained with. If you look at like the, you know, the names and things that you're throwing out there over the years. Um, and it's interesting when you mention, you know, you went from Hoist to Henzo to Frank to Eric, because there's almost yeah. kind of an evolution of the sport. So it's like, yeah. there's a different, different peak at each time's coming through. Yeah. What have you found in yeah. recent years has been the evolutionary direction of your own training as reflected by martial arts or have you found you've just been polishing and refining what you already do? Um, a mixture of both really. Before I came over here, you know, my closest friend in England is a guy called Avs, Avzal. And mm -hmm. uh, me and him used to train together. And, you know, we've all heard the stories back in the old days. And I mean, hundreds of years ago, you know, one jujitsu master would train with another jujitsu master and they put him in a hold and they'd say, right, what can you do from there? How can you escape this? And how can you counter this? And what have you? And uh, myself and Avs used to do that a great deal. Um, so we would train in what we lovingly call the pit, uh, which was his garage. He had it all matted out and what have you. So I was teaching at that time um, jiu-jitsu twice a week, karate mm -hmm. twice a week. And then Friday nights would be me and Avs training together. Right. We would just focus on the grappling and we would literally do that. You know, okay, I've got you in this hold. What can you do? How can you counter? How can you escape? Uh, so that in itself uh, helped my, um, my ability as a grappler immensely. Um, and when I was, even as a smoker, uh, when I was at my peak, I could roll for an hour, you know, uh, without yeah. gassing. I mean, now, I mean, I've got a torn meniscus and a partial tear in my ACL. I'm too cowardly to go under the knife to get it fixed. And so now I don't roll anymore. So now I just concentrate on teaching whenever I can, whoever I can, because mm -hmm. I love, love, love teaching. I mean, I can um, roll for an hour if the hill's steep enough and there's no bushes that get in the way. I know? hear exactly what you're saying. I mean, now, <laughs> I mean, like, funnily enough, last year, uh, when Eric was in Red Deer, just up the road, and I went to train with him again, he had us rolling at the end of the day. After five minutes, man, it was like I was I was ready to throw up. After five minutes, and here's a guy who, who not so long ago could comfortably roll with bigger, stronger guys for an hour. Mm. You know, it's amazing um, how quick you lose it. You do lose the uh, yeah, you do lose the endurance that piece. Man, but as I say, I mean, like, you know, that um, that helped my game immensely, training with Avs and, and, and testing each other, really, pushing each other and testing each other. Um, as far as um, evolving, I, I always, always try to learn more. Now, you know as well as I do, there comes a certain point where you're not necessarily learning any more techniques, but you are learning different ways of catching them. Yes. You know what I mean? I yes. mean, like, you know, it could be argued, it could be argued that an armbar is an armbar. However, there's probably 50 ways of catching an armbar and another 50 from 50 other, other uh, position or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And everyone has their little twist on it as well. Like, I mean, if you take something like, um, I'm, I'm, I'll make it even simpler than an armbar, because as you correctly identified, an armbar can be hit from any number of positions. Take yeah. something like a jab from boxing. Yeah. Um, in theory, like this, the first punch you'll ever get taught is the jab. And it's the yeah. one that people do the most of. It's the one they practice the most. And yeah. you pick six famous boxers at random. Uh, Shogay Robinson, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, uh, Roy Jones, and uh, 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 Jake Lamotta. Right. Um, and that's for Rocky Marciano went there for fun. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but if you want, not one of them jabs the same way. 
exactly. They've all got a different nuance, but as practitioners of the art, as students of the art, we can extract an essence from the way each one of them does things. Yes. So although, I mean, yes. you, you might think like, you know, let's think of that the best jab you can think of. I mean, heavyweight, I'd go Larry Holmes. I don't think I've seen many jabs better than his. Right. Um, but it's not the only way to jab. But you look at how he does it. What does he do right? What does he do well? Okay. How does Tyson do it? What does he do with that? How does Joe Lewis do it? How does Holyfield do it? Then you go to the lighter weights. And there's an essence from the way they do things. The principle is the same. It's a front hand punch going very quick, scoring quick points and setting your opponent up. But everyone yeah. does it so differently. And yes. that speaks to your larger point with the armbar and the refinement of the techniques we already do stroke, invert quotes, no. Yeah. We find different ways to get them, sometimes a shift of weight, sometimes a different angle. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I hear what you're saying with that. That's absolutely what we, we kind of funnel down rather than start slopping stuff on, which is... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. When I was part of the, um, the karate squad that went over to America, mm -hmm. there was a guy, and I think I might have told you this story, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell everyone else. There was a guy on the squad. He was a heavyweight wacko world champion. His name was Alvin Mighty. Mighty Alvin Mighty. There's a name from the past. What, what, what a great name, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Alvin, Alvin, in the kickboxing world, he essentially used to use three techniques. But he was so precise with those three techniques. It won him the world heavyweight championship like three times, you know? So good. So basically, I mean, like, yeah, like you say, you know, we could learn um, a thousand techniques, but if we refine it down, refine it down, refine it down, and just become so um, uh, accurate and adept at a handful of those techniques, you know what I mean? So what I'm saying is, yes, there can be 50 ways of catching an armbar, and you need to know those 50 ways in case you find yourself in that position, mm -hmm. but you're always going to favor it's a little bit like a southpaw orthodox you know karate uh jeet kune do um uh, wing, uh, wing chuck whatever i mean like you know we're kind of taught to be ambidextrous so you can fire off your left or you can fire off your right but you're always going to favor one side over the other mm -hmm. you know it's like it's like when i when i'm rolling with someone and i catch um i catch um uh, kimura i always favor going for their left arm as opposed to their right even though i can do it with my right kind of thing but you try to refine what you know. You try to see if there's anything else out there that you can, I mean, we're obviously always evolving and always learning. So if I see a technique, I think, holy crap, I've got to have that in my toolbox. So I will do my best to learn it to a high quality and put it in my toolbox. Might never need it, but it's like, you know, it's one of those scenarios, better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Nice. Um, so... So essentially, you know, going back to your original question, um, a majority of the time now is I just try to make sure that whatever techniques I am teaching, um, I am teaching them effectively and to a high standard and that they really do work. That's why for the most part, whenever I'm teaching, I generally pick a big, heavy, strong guy to demonstrate on. So that the people watching or, or in the class or what have you can see, well, it's not about size or strength, it's about technique, you know? Sure. And you know as well as I do, Jay, you know, if, if you do the technique right, doesn't matter how big the guy is, yep. you know? So, yeah. but yeah, it, a lot of refining, a lot of maintaining, 
you know, because I mean now, especially during this lockdown, I haven't taught for over a month now. Um, Just be tweaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not twerking not twerking no not twerking i don't want to see you twerking kevin uh, but uh yeah so basically and also i do a lot of run-throughs in my head you know mm -hmm. I think I, the uh, mental reps what 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 i have found as well is you know when you bear in mind um how long both of us have been training and once again i know um, i'm i'm preaching to the choir here you'll know exactly what i mean sometimes someone will ask you a question and i love being asked questions i love being asked questions because that tests me and it tests my memory mm. and quite often you know someone will ask you a question and you'll think holy crap i haven't taught that technique for 20 years yeah let's do that you know or you're teaching something and something else will be dragged forward from the back of your brain so you'll teach that you know it's it's lovely having the knowledge uh, sometimes you need a, when you're my age, you need a gentle, gentle jog to remind yourself of certain techniques that you haven't done yeah. for a long time because you've never to or never been asked. So. Awesome. I mean, the, the time's ticking on. Um, so I'm going to um, get you booked in for another session in a few weeks so we can do a part two of this sort of thing as well. Um, but moving on and touching well, briefly, like I say, you're, you're my brother and love you, so whenever you want me, you know. Okay, man, okay, cool. Um, moving on though, I mean, the, the lessons and the experiences you've gained from the martial arts world, um, because now you, you're focusing a lot on the acting and you've had a lot of tremendous success in that. Not only obviously the, the one that people more know you for is, um, obviously Hell on Wheels, but you've you did some stuff with Winona Earp. Um, and you recently have done a film, yeah. uh, February's Dog, you were doing that, which was a, a, ended up expanding out into a film. How have you found that the training and the discipline from the martial arts has carried over to the acting side of things? Um, uh, once again, you know, uh, people, people watching this will probably think we're just having a cup of tea and chatting about the old days. Kind That's of what thing. a good podcast should be. <laughs> <laughs> You, you know, as well as I do, that in the martial arts world, you get egotists, you get narcissists, you get really nice guys and what have you. Uh, me and you have gone down the, the humble road. In other words, you know, martial arts, whilst we are proud of what we've achieved and um, we are passionate about it, um, we also remain humble. Yeah, You know, we also remain humble because we know there's always someone out there bigger, stronger, faster, whatever. Um, so coming into the acting world, I've brought that in with me. You know, you, you, it's like Casey Kasem says, you know, keep your feet on the ground, but reach for the stars. So I've always remained uh, respectful and humble. Um, and I've always lived by the golden rule, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. Uh, You've frozen um, out on me just a little bit um, there, buddy. I wasn't alive. Oh, hang on. Let me move around a bit. There you go. How's that? No, you froze. That's a that little better. better. Yeah, worse? that's a little better. That's better. Slight lag. That's all. Okay. Okay. So I can remember hearing that um, Albert Einstein once said that he would speak to a janitor the same way as he speaks to the royal family. Mm -hmm. And that's our philosophy as well. You know, I mean, so. you, know, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. Live by the golden rule. Remain humble. Nothing wrong with being proud of our achievements. 
but don't toot your own horn too much, you know? So, so that's, that's what I brought into the acting world with me. Um, unfortunately, there's not enough acting in Alberta to make a really good living out of it. No. Um, but, you know, for the amount of time I have been acting, yes, I, I, I've been very fortunate to have, to have uh, had a modicum of success in the acting world and, and most of the Calgary uh, acting um, community know who I am you know so which is great i mean certainly one. you always when we've spoken about it you've always had that approach of you're you count yourself blessed to be where you are you don't Absolutely. ever you've never seen it as your due you've never seen yeah. it as you deserve this you've always like you know holy crap i must have i must have like uh, been good in a previous life or something like that you know you've always and despite you've had a lot of adversity in your life which we've alluded to we're not going to, to, to dwell on that but you've always maintained this very positive outlook on things um and everything that you've done and you always no matter what happens you you dust off and and you you carry on going what is it that kind of gives you that anchoring and that ability to to, to pursue in that vein okay um once again quoting a philosopher back in the first century epictetus said it's not what happens to us it's how we react to what happens mm, nice. so essentially we've always got a choice i can remember jack canfield was giving a giving a seminar and he said hands up all the mothers in the room so all the all the women put their hands up he said right if i put a gun to your head and said shoot your child or i'll blow or i'll blow your brains out how many people would shoot the child and all the hands went down proving that even in the face of death we have a choice of how we are going to react mm. now I don't know how many of the viewers know this, but you know my story. My wife was killed by a drunk driver in a hit and run. Yeah. Um, I had the choice of either turning a drink or drugs or neglecting the kids or putting a gun in my mouth or putting my big boy pants on and stepping up to the plate, mm. and marching forward until it became the norm. That's the choice I made. I'm very proud of that choice i certainly didn't feel strong or courageous already it's just shit went down and everyone goes through crap but you have a choice of how you react to it i reacted i think in the most positive way i could and i try to maintain um a happy upbeat positive attitude because what's the alternative you know you get on the pity pot and you stay on the pity pot forever you know, yeah. so I don't want to be that guy, you know, um, me and the kids went through a really, really, really tough time. But what doesn't kill you makes you stronger if you allow it to. And sometimes the lessons we learn in life make us realize that we can be stronger than we ever wanted to be. You know, so those are the choices, you know, you either let it beat you. Or you tell yourself, I'm not going to let this beat me. And also, another thing, OJ, I mean, my Linda was my first true love, my best friend, my soulmate. We were together, we were married over 20 years, together for like 26 years. And I want her and my mum to be looking down on me and the kids being proud of us. And I know damn well, if I was a miserable old bastard, she wouldn't be. <laughs> you know? Probably fair. And what a beautiful way to end it. Um, listen, are you going to be okay to come back and do another one of these in a, in a couple of weeks? Absolutely. You just say when, dude. You beautiful. Just say when. Beautiful. Well, for anyone at home, um, obviously, um, 
we're ending the live one, but this is going to be put out there for everybody to reference to. If one wants to get a hold of you for training or for, you know, just general chit chat and discussion, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Okay. So I'm on, um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, uh-huh. Instagram is at, um, Oh, I can't remember. Is it Davy <laughs> Davy underscore Kevin or is it Kevin underscore Davy? I'm sure they'll find it on either of those. Yeah. Um, I'm on um, I'm on Twitter and it's at Kevin Davy 2014 and I'm on Facebook just under my own name. Um, if you are interested, you know, you can always reach out on Facebook Messenger. That's mm-hmm. probably the easiest way. And then, you know, I can I can give you my details and what have you. Um so yeah, and if awesome. you want to know anything else about me, I mean, I'm an open book and just ask away. Wonderful. Well, Kev, thanks for joining us today. It's been an absolute blast talking to you. Um, and um, yeah, there we go. Thanks very I feel, much, brother. I feel, I feel honored to be your guest, dude. You know, I love you very much. I class you as, you know, I've got probably, I've got many acquaintances, many buddies, but I've got probably three close, 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 close friends on this planet, and you're one of them, bro. You know I love you very much. Love you right back, brother. Always do. All right, man. You take care of yourself. Okay, we'll talk soon. Later, bro. Bye, man. And there you go. Um, What a great guy. And once again, an hour flown by. I should start booking these interviews in three-hour slots. It make life a lot easier. So I hope you got a lot out from that interview with Kev. Um, as you can, you know, you can see just an absolute amazing guy to talk to. Fascinating, fascinating guy with so much, so much rich background, not only from the martial arts world, but from all the other stuff he's been through as well. And there's a lot of great lessons we can draw from that. So thanks for joining us on the Bang of the Hound, guys. And um, I'll see you on the next one. Take care of yourselves out there. Um, I know COVID's still doing the rounds. Um, but you know what? We'll push on through. We'll fight on through. And as Kevin himself said, we can't control the circumstances. We can just control how we react to them. So let's take it with a smile and make sure we're looking at it right. So next time, guys, this is the Hound signing off. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye now.